I'm a trained religious professional. <laughs> it's not supposed to be funny, but uh, it kind of is funny when I said that. And, and perhaps um, one of the things I wanted to talk about is, and maybe you've thought this, but you just didn't think it was okay to say, so I'm going to say it for you. Religion is weird, isn't it? Has anybody ever thought that? Religion is just kind of weird. Uh, even some of the things we've done today, a little weird. Um, we've done, you know, stuff like talked about a lamb. Uh, we've, we've taken some juice and some bread and talked about a broken body and some shed blood. We've talked about a cross. Um, it's a little weird. And not just Christianity is weird. Lots of religions, and I don't think Christianity is all that weird because I'm a trained religious professional, so I must not think it's that weird. But there are some religions that are really kind of weird. Marnie and Kathy have been to India, and Jared's been to India, and that religion of Hinduism, to me, from my perspective, is really weird. 10,000 or so gods, uh, they drop babies out of a 50-story window to scare the devil out of them. <laughs> When they're first born, they catch them, by the way. Some of you are a little concerned about that. They catch them. Uh, but, you know, there's some strange practices. They have temple prostitution. They have sacrifices to gods. That's all kind of weird. And religion can be really, really weird if we're really honest, right? I mean, religion can lead to really weird things. Sometimes religion becomes very mystical. And I'm going to offend people who are mystics. If you're a mystic, sorry, I'm going to offend you because I'm sometimes a mystic, but not really. Um, mystics sit around and chant things and count things and, and have mystical experiences and out-of-body experiences. And that's all kind of weird. And religion sometimes can also lead people to being legalistic. And you know what legalism is. You've probably experienced somebody like that where they have a certain way that you have to behave to be accepted by God. And if you don't behave that way, then God doesn't like you and neither do they. <laughs> have you been around? That was a joke. Is this? You got to help me out, people. Have you ever been around folks like that, that a little legalistic? And that is weird to me. Like they know and you don't. And if you don't act a certain way and you're not a certain type of person, then God doesn't love you and God doesn't like you and neither do they. Uh, religion can also lead to uh, um, not only legalism, but it can also lead to other strange practices like people seeing the image of Mary in a pancake. I mean, I, I might offend you just now. Maybe you, but that one is weird to me. Or the image of Jesus in the bark on the side of a tree, you know. And I always think, how, how do they know that's Mary? I mean, what if it's Liz, you know? I mean, how do they know that's Mary? Because do they have a photograph? Has anybody seen Mary and what she looks like or Jesus and what he looks like? That's just kind of weird to me. From my perspective, maybe you're into that. But that, that's just really weird to me. Not only can religion lead to legalism and, and it can lead to mysticism, but it can also lead to people being judgmental. Maybe you've experienced this before. <laughs> Apparently some of you have. Where if we're legalists and we have a certain way of living, then we think, oh, well, you're not living that way, so yeah, I don't like you and I judge you and you're in God's judgment. You ever felt that kind of a thing in religion? 
where we think we know stuff and you don't know stuff and we're living a certain way and you're not up to snuff and so people judge you. That seems weird to me. I mean, what right does any person have to judge another? Uh, And then whenever there's religion, there's the opportunity for hypocrisy. I mean, just the fact that religion exists, all of a sudden there's this opportunity for hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is where we pretend to be better than we really are. And religion fuels hypocrisy. Religion fuels hypocrisy because uh, as soon as we say there's a standard to live up to, there's a way to live life, then by default all of us are going to fail and fall short of that at times. I fall short of those standards at times. You might want to write that down. (laughs) To most of you, that probably doesn't come as a shock. But there's hypocrisy, and we struggle with, maybe that's what's turned off some of you from church in the past. This church is full of hypocrites, and I don't want to be around a bunch of hypocrites. Religion is full of hypocrites. And I don't want to be around a bunch of hypocrites. And you're right. Religion is full of hypocrites. Churches can be full of hypocrites. Church is a weird place. Religion is weird. And I want us to think about this because the title of these next few messages that I'm going to give, and we hope if you're our guest that you'll want to come back and that we won't be so weird that you stay away. But... It's called losing your religion. And that might seem strange because you think, well, I came to church to get religion, and now the pastors want me to lose it. And and if you stay with me, I hope that you'll understand what I'm trying to get at here. You see, religion is weird, and I think I know the reason why it's weird. Because religion is something that is abstract, is intangible. We're trying to connect with a being who we hope is out there, right? We're trying to, com- to connect, to communicate with God. And religion is our means of trying to do that. We're trying to communicate with this God. We're trying to connect the sacred with the secular, the known with the unknown. And sometimes it makes us do weird things. In fact, sometimes it seems that the weirder, the harder, or the odder, the odder, Oh, Didi, the stranger. There we go. Thank you. Because an otter has nothing to do with religion. And if it does, it's really weird. (laughs) The stranger it is, the harder it is, then it seems that that's more religious to some people. Have you ever been around folks like that? That's sometimes how cults get started. You know, we're the only ones that cut our hair this way, that dress this way, that drink this kind of Kool-Aid. And so sometimes that's how a cult gets going. And those are really weird. And we all, most of us, run the other way. But sometimes people are really attracted to that and really want to be a part of that because we're trying to go from the known to the unknown, from the secular to the sacred. We're trying, all religions are trying to bridge the gap between humanity and God. All religions are. They're trying to do this. They're trying to bridge this gap. Perhaps that's why you're here today. Because you're trying to bridge this gap between yourself and God. 
well, I want to spend some time thinking about how do we bridge this gap? Is there a gap? I want us to spend a little bit of time looking at religion and how perhaps religion doesn't always help us in bridging this gap. And we're going to turn to a passage of scripture that you had no idea was coming this morning because you came to hear about Jesus' resurrection. You're going to hear about it in a different way. The passage of scripture that we're going to look at is found in the book of Acts in chapter 17. And it's a story about Paul, the apostle. Most of the book of Acts is about this guy named Paul. And Paul is an apostle. He was a sent one. He has a message to, to send out to the world about Jesus Christ. And Paul finds himself in a city called Athens in chapter 17 of Acts. Now, perhaps you don't know what to make of the Bible, and that's okay. You don't have to believe in the Bible uh, to learn from the Bible. Um, in fact, if you say, I don't believe the Bible, um, then my question to you is, which part? <laughs> because the Bible is actually a bunch of documents, letters, writings that were all kind of stuck together about two to 300 years after Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so when you say, I don't believe the Bible, well, which part do you not believe? You see, this part in Acts is telling us some of the early history of the church. It's just recounting what happened. And here it talks about Paul's journeys. And, and we learn about Paul being in Athens. And we begin in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now he's walking around Athens. And in the ancient world, um, you can go and visit this place, by the way. They would build temples. They would build idols. This is how they express their religion. This is how they would try to connect with God to bridge the gap. They would create a statue to different gods, to Zeus and whatever other gods that they had back then. And they had a lot. And Paul's a bit distressed because they've got so many. And he realizes that they're very religious but not very certain. They're very religious, but they're not very certain. And this troubles Paul. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. Paul's hanging out and he's talking with these people. Apparently they didn't have many jobs back then, and they all stood around and talked about things. And Athens, at least this class of people, mostly had slaves. So the slaves are busy working, and these folks would sit around and talk about interesting ideas. And so they're listening to Paul in the marketplace. A group of Epicureans, and these are people who live for the moment, live for pleasure. You know of anybody like that? And Stoic philosophers. Stoics are like the thinker, that statue. They're the guys that sit around and think big thoughts most of the day long. And these people began to debate with Paul. Some of them asked, what is the babbler trying to say? <laughs> you see, Paul is perceived by some of them as a weirdo. What's this guy talking about? Probably some of you feel that way at church, right? What is this babbler trying to say? <laughs> and so they're talking to Paul, and it's not making sense what he's trying to say. And so he seems to be advocating foreign gods. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about the Hebrew God. And so they're thinking, huh, he's got some other religious thing he's trying to put on us. He wants a statue to a different God erected, it sounds. 
They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what is new, what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. They all would sit around and listen to these ideas, and they want Paul to come to the Areopagus. And the Areopagus was kind of this meeting hall where they would determine if what you were teaching was good enough for the rest of the town to hear. And so he had to go and present his ideas to the leaders in the town at the Areopagus. And they would decide whether he should stick around Athens or not. In verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Isn't that interesting? I mean, they're very religious, but they're not very certain. And they are so uncertain that they've, they've decided, you know what? We better cover all our bases. I mean, we've got this God, and this God blesses our harvest, and we've got this God, and he blesses our kids, and we've got this God, and he blesses our business, and we've got this God, and he takes care of finances for us. But there could be another God out there that we don't know anything about. And... This is the just-in-case God. Just in case there's one that we might be judged by. Now, this might sound strange to us Americans, right? But we still do this today. I mean, there's folks who come to church on just Christmas and Easter. And that's kind of a just-in-case kind of thing. I'm not sure I just buy into this. I'm sorry if I'm offending you tough. Uh, But it's a just-in-case move. I don't, I don't really buy into the scriptures. I'm not sure I'm into this thing, but I want my kids in Sunday school. Just in case. Uh, I'm not really certain about uh, the scriptures and what they say, but I'm going to give a little bit of money just in case. Just in case there's a God someday I'm going to have to give account to. We still do this today. Just in case. Now, Paul decides that this is the launching point for his sermon, this unknown God, this just-in-case God. He says, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. Now, that sounds pretty strong and mean. You're ignorant. (laughs) But he's really just saying, you don't know. And perhaps some of us today are sitting here, and we're very religious, but we just aren't very certain, and we don't know. And Paul's speaking to us. You don't know. You're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God. Now, this is fascinating how he starts. He starts very broad. He starts in an area that I think most people who believe in God could agree with. He starts with creation and he says this big stuff about God. And then he's going to narrow down the focus as he gets rolling on his sermon. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. Paul's first point is that your God's too small. That he can't be confined to your little idols, to your temples. That God is bigger than all of that. That he made the heavens and the earth and he can't be contained in your little temple, in your idols. Your God's too small. 
Then he says, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. You see, back then they would bring God offerings. They would take food offerings and place them at the idol. They would take money offerings and place them at the idol. And miraculously, they would disappear. (laughs) They still do this in India. You know where they disappear to? To the guy that just sold it to them after those pilgrims leave. They go back and get it and sell it to the next pilgrim. Marnie and Kathy and Jared got to see that. Wow. (laughs) Those are some ignorant pilgrims. Now, it would disappear. And Paul's point is, this is a God who doesn't need anything from you. This is a God that's too big, your God's too small, and he doesn't need anything from you. And he's already starting to challenge the way the Greeks and the Romans, the Gentiles, thought of God. And maybe he's challenging how you think of God. He continues, rather he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God doesn't need anything from us. He's the provider. He's the sustainer. He's the one that gives everything to us. And then he says in verse 26, from one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. Now, this is a big challenge to the Greeks and the Romans because they thought that every nation and every state and every city even had their own gods. And Paul's saying, no, there's just one big God who's in charge of all the nations, of all the cities, of all the earth, of all the heavens. And you can kind of see the people getting a little uncomfortable with where Paul's going with this thing. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Now that is a profound statement. You see, Paul is not disagreeing with them about the religious pursuit. He's actually saying that the religious endeavor that people are under makes sense. Because you want to connect with God and everything that God has done in this world, in your life, has done, he's done these things so that you will actually seek him so that you will perhaps even reach out to him. And maybe even you'll find him. You see, he's saying that you Greeks, you Romans who are got all these idols and these temples, you're trying to find God, and that's a good thing. Paul's affirming that. You're trying to reach him. And then he says something that blew their minds because they didn't think of it this way. Though he is not far from any of us. (laughs) You see, they thought the gods were very far away, not near. Paul says God's near to us. And now he's going to go on and tell us how near. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. You see, now he's saying some of your philosophers and your poets, they even get this. They understand some of these things. They've got a little glimmer of understanding about God. But now Paul's going to explain it all to them. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made uh, made by human design and skill. In the past, that's a key word, in the past, you see something new has occurred. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now, but now, something new has happened. 
He commands all people everywhere to what? To give him money. To offer sacrifice. Uh, to go to church. To get good grades. To be a good citizen. To vote for the right people. No. He says simply, to repent. Now, when we see that word repent in our day and age, we think of turn away from your evil deeds, right? But this word in the Greek actually means to change your mind. You see, the Bible writers, the the writers and the speakers and the teachers in the Bible understood that the only way for people to actually change their behavior was to change their mind. (laughs) How many of you have children? Anybody? I mean, the only way to get them to do what you want them to do is to change their mind. But, Dad, I won't get hit by a car. I'm invincible. I can do whatever I want. Sometimes that's a difficult one to break through. Maybe you just have to hit the kid with the car (laughs) to change their mind. It will work, though, right? They won't see a car differently ever again. But to change the behavior, you have to change the mind. And Paul says here, what God wants is for you to repent, to change your mind. This is a game-changing speech for the Athenian, uh, the folks in Athens, the Athenians. That sounds like a strange word, but it's right. <laughs> then he says this, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Paul here is just saying, everyone is accountable. Everyone is going to give account before God. And you're very religious, you Athenians, but you're not very certain. You see, their religious system even told them, we're going to be judged. We better have the just-in-case God. Just in case. And Paul is saying that you're reaching out to God is a good thing, but it's not The whole story, it's incomplete. The whole story is that God is reaching back to you. That God has sent his son, his one and only son, to live the life that you and I could not live and die the death that we should have died. He reached back to you, to me. And Paul gives us the complete story. Religion is our means of reaching out to God. But God, outside of religion, is reaching back down to us. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. (laughs) It happened back then, too. Well, perhaps that's how some of you feel today. Uh, Yeah, I'll go to church, but can't get into this Jesus rising from the dead thing. That's okay. That's been a response ever since it happened. The strange thing is Paul goes on and he says this, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. 
At that point, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Think of the task that Paul had before him. He was going to foreign lands, to Greeks, to Romans, people who uh, were of different ethnic backgrounds, different religious backgrounds than him. And they had to go and he had to convince them that the Jewish God had sent his son. Hey, um, God has sent his one and only son, Jesus, and you should put your faith in him. Oh, really? That's interesting. And uh, I should follow Jesus? Yes, you should follow Jesus. Okay, where is he? Well, he, he died. He died? How? Well, by crucifixion. But don't let that stop you. Paul, you're a Jew, and your station's just, your, your nation is just kind of the walkway for the Romans and the Greeks. And your God has died? I mean, there's nothing special about this God, Paul. I mean, the immense task that Paul has of going to people who have all these gods, who think big thoughts, who are skeptical to begin with, to try to convince them about Jesus being raised from the dead. One thing that was in Paul's favor is that he could get on a boat with the people who wanted to find out more. And they could go to Jerusalem, and they could talk to people who actually talked to the risen Jesus. They could actually go and visit with people who had breakfast with Jesus after he rose from the dead. You see, this is a key point. God has reached down into history... And he has not tried to convince us through some religious truth, through some theological truth, that he loves us and wants relationship with us. Instead, he created an event, a historical event that happened. And that's how he wanted to prove that what he wants is relationship with us. He wants us to repent and be in relationship with him. I know what some of you might be thinking. When's this going to be over? I mean, I've come and I've done my duty on Easter. Um, I've been polite. I even tried to sing a couple of the weird songs. And perhaps you've heard this and you're, you're like those who go, resurrection? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, it's understandable. It's understandable. But what you need to hear is this. If it's religion and religious people that have dr driven you away from church... If it's weird practices and traditions and rituals of religious people, if it's judgment and legalism and strange mysticism of seeing Mary in pancakes that has driven you from Christ, then you haven't actually rejected Jesus Christ. You've rejected religion. And in my opinion, 
Sometimes you have to lose your religion to find God. Sometimes we have to lose our religion to find God because religion is weird and it has all these rules and regulations and people judge us and people throw rules in our face and we're not doing it right. And some people are hypocritical, even pastors. And it gets in the way of us actually coming to repent and believe in Jesus. Some of us need to go home today, and I want to challenge you to do something. I want you to just throw out all the weirdness of religion. I I want you to get past all the strange things and the strange people that you associate with Jesus and with Christianity and religion. And I want you just to quiet yourself and I want you to read the Gospel of John. Because you see, at the birth of Christianity, not at the birth of Jesus, but at the birth of Christianity, after Jesus Christ died and rose again, guess what? It wasn't weird. There was no legalism. There was no hypocrisy. There was no judgment. There's only grace. And if you will read the Gospel of John and do away with all the other things that you have experienced, maybe as a kid in church or something you've watched on TV, if you will just quiet yourself and read the Gospel of John, I think you'll come away with a whole different understanding of who this Jesus person was and is. And I think you'll find that it's not as weird as you might be thinking it is. That's my challenge to each of us. Next week, we're going to take a look and continue our series on losing our religion, losing your religion. Because like I said, many people are religious, very religious, but many people are very uncertain. And one of the things that you can walk out of here today is certainty. Certainty that your sins have been forgiven. Certainty that Christ has died on the cross for you and that you can experience eternal life with him. You can leave a less religious person, but a more certain person today. And next week, we're going to look at another story from Paul's life, his deconversion story. And we're going to see how a very religious person changed his mind. And that change in Paul ignited the ancient world. It ignited the world to the point that what used to be something that you studied in history class, remember the Greek gods and the Roman gods? Those folks believed all that weird stuff. And Paul was such a revolutionary and such a bold person. He went to that world and he changed that world with his simple message.
And we're going to look at an interaction he had with King Agrippa next week and see the good starting point for us to lose our religion. Well, if you would please uh, join me in a word of prayer, and we'll also have the benediction. Before we do, uh, we have a bunch of goodies to be consumed before you leave. So don't make us, like, hunt you down and give you good things. So I'm just kidding. That was weird. Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, forgive me when I mess up and people see it and I pretend to be something I'm not. And I know that happens regularly. I pray that I would not be a stumbling block to people coming to Jesus. But rather, people would see a broken man who's not trying harder because it doesn't matter how hard I try. Who's not um, smarter or slicker than others, but someone who just sees that he's sinful and in need of a Savior. I pray, Father, for those who are struggling with religion today, who see the church and those in it as hypocrites and legalists and judgmental people, that you would open their eyes to the truth of the gospel, to the truth of the person of Jesus Christ, that Christ lived the life they couldn't live and died the death they should have died. Lord, I pray that for anyone here today that wants to place their hope and trust in Christ, that they would say these simple words after me in their hearts. Lord Jesus, I confess that I have sinned. I confess that I haven't lived up to your standards. I haven't even lived up to my own. I confess that you're right and I'm wrong. And I need you to save me. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd come into my heart today that you would be my Savior and Lord and forgive me of my sin. Father, for those who this is old school and they've heard this a lot, help us to remove our religious trappings, our traditions, our rituals, the ruts we find ourselves in. Help us to see the new things Christ is doing in our hearts and in our midst and in our world. And let us join in the work of the Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. May you, as you seek God and reach out to him, may you find him. May you lose your religion and find relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen.